والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولاه اللهم صل صلاة كاملة وسلم سلاما تاما على سيدنا محمد الذي تنحل به العقد وتنفرج به الكرب وتقضى به الحوائج وتنال به الرغائب وحسن الخواتم ويستسقى الغمام بوجهه الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا Alrighty folks, today we're going to talk about its stories of the awliya and we're going to talk about one of the greatest awliya that we have in our history and his wilaya is something extremely special and why it's special is because this wali from awliya illah this man of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he has the endorsement of the messenger of Allah himself right he has the endorsement of the messenger of Allah his name is Uwais Ibn Amir Al-Qarani all right, his name is Uwais ibn Amir al-Qarani. This is who we're talking about today. And he, there's a and what we're going to do is we're just going to read the hadith that has come about Uwais ibn Amir al-Qarani. And the Prophet ﷺ spoke about him by name, even though this man had never met the Messenger, peace be upon him. In Sahih Muslim, it says, it says here that An Jabir. عن عن أسير بن جابر قال كان عمر بن الخطاب إذا أتى عليه أمداد أهل اليمن when when عمر بن الخطاب was leading the Hajj during his خلافة the people of Yemen would come and he would go to the to the people who came to Hajj from Yemen and he would say أفيكم أويس بن عامر okay until Uwais would finally showed up so every year عمر would go to the Hajj and he would say to the people of Yemen, he says, is Uwais ibn Amr amongst you? And sometimes they say no and whatever. And until finally, until he finally did meet Uwais. Okay. Are you Uwais ibn Amr? He said, yes. A very, very tall, dark and poor man. That's who he was. Uwais ibn Amr, a man from Yemen. Very tall, very dark. Extremely thin and extremely poor. He said, yes. He said, min murad thumma min qaran. Are you from murad and then qaran? These are the different tribes because a tribe is divided into clans and a clan divided into branches. Like a tree. You have a trunk, branches, and then the twigs off the branches. Qala fakana bika baras minhu. You used to have a skin disease. And then you were cured from it except for the size of a coin on your hand he said yes okay we're going to see what the what, what is the wisdom of this what we're talking about a, a size of a coin you have a mom he said yes he said then i have heard the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam say one day there will come upon you uwais ibn amir from amongst the people of yemen okay from murad then Qaran. His his tribe is from Murad and Qaran. The sub clan is Qaran. Okay. He used to have a skin disease and Allah healed him from it. Except the piece of a coin on his hand. Okay. And he has a mother and he was very good to his mother. He is of a status with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If he tells Allah what to do, Allah will do it. لو أقسم على الله لأبر الله قسمه. What does that mean? 
we make dua to Allah. We say, Allah, please grant us such and such. Please do this for us. He's saying the opposite here. If he tells Allah what to do, do this. Allah will do it for him. Can you imagine? And if he swears, Aqsam, I swear you're going to do this, then he will do it. How has such a person reached such a rank? And why? Okay. If you can ask him to seek forgiveness for you, do so. Ask him to seek forgiveness for you. Okay. So he said, Uwais said, he said to Uwais, seek forgiveness for me. And he sought forgiveness for him. Omar. Omar spoke to him, had the, had some discussion with him. They talked a little bit. And then at the end of the discussion, Sayyidina Omar said, where do you want to go? He's the Khalifa. You can write him a letter. Al-Kufa. He said, oh, I want to go to Kufa. Kufa was the big Arab city in Iraq that was established by Omar. By, he commanded Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas and Salman al-Farisi to go there and to uh, establish a city. So they found the flat land that was very similar to the Arab territory so that the Arabs would, they would be physically capable of living there. And, so, uh, and it would be similar to their environment. So they established the city of Kufa. Okay. And there he says, Kufa. She said, Should I write to you? Should I write a letter of reference to the governor there to take care of you? He said, I'd rather stay in, amongst the masses of people. This, this, just, I want to be one of the people. I don't want to be someone special that has a letter from the Khalifa. Then you're someone special. Okay. Now, the next year, in the next Hajj, all right, one of the nobles from this tribe, from Uwais's tribe, came. So he met Omar. So he asked him about Uwais. How's Uwais al Qarani doing? He said he is he has nothing in his house. He is extremely poor. He's super poor. Sayyidina Omar says, he tells him, Why was why did I have a special conversation to waste? Because the man said, Omar, Omar, why were you talking to Uwais of all people? The Prophet said, Uwais ibn Amir will come to you from the people of Yemen, uh, from the family of Murad and Qaran. He had a skin disease and Allah cured him except for the piece of a coin. Uh, and he has a, 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 a mom with, which he was good to. If he tells Allah what to do, Allah will do it. If you can ask him for istighfar for you, do it. So he said, but the way he said, you ha, you are, you're the one who have, have come from a long journey. So you seek forgiveness from me. He said, no. So in other words, uh, now then when the, 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 the Omar recognized him, the chief of the tribe recognized him, then Omar, the, then Uwais became famous. The people started paying attention to Uwais. Now, th listen to this. This is really important because it shows you that the awliya Allah, all they care about is ikhlas. They just want a relationship with Allah. They're sincere. That's all they want. They want nothing else. 
and they're true about that. Fame is a wonderful thing that people think is great, but it's not. Okay. The people started, oh, he's special. Let's go ask him for dua. Let's go see what he's all about. He disappeared right then and there. His clothes was just like, a, 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 he had like a wrap around his thigh, uh, around his waist and a burda. So now listen to, uh, to, to, to the story. What, he had a skin disease. He was so poor, so miskin, he did not have a dad. All his life, of course, he had a father, but he didn't live with his father. His father, maybe he died. It was him and his mom. In extreme poverty, and his mom was blind on top of that. His mother was blind. So that's how he lived. And he would herd of sheeps for people and they would throw him a couple dates at the end of the day. He lived such a simple and bland life. Unbelievable. But all of his time would be contemplating Allah. And he asked Allah, oh Allah, cure my skin disease. But uh, leave me a little bit on my hand that I could see every day and remember your favor upon me so that's why he had a little bit of skin disease on his hand he said leave it there leave me a little piece so i can remember your fadl upon me now Uwais al-Qarni he heard about the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has come and he wanted to go see the prophet and the people from yemen had come and they had spoken to the people that there's a new message there's quran there's deen etc etc and so Uwais then became very interested in this and he started doing exactly what the teachers are saying so he started to pray he started to do all these things and he loved it and then he thought i want to go see the prophet myself so he went to see the messenger but his mother said how could you leave me when i'm blind i have nobody else she said go but if you don't find him come right back and so he went and lo and behold, the Prophet ﷺ was not in Medina. So he went right back home. He didn't say, well, this is my only chance. No, he stuck to his word. He had an agreement with his mom. Go, if you can't find him there, come right back. Don't wait. Because we don't. back in the old days, you don't know when someone's going to come back. Nobody knows. So he went back. So he did the whole trip up to Medina, came back, and never met the Prophet ﷺ. But the Prophet ﷺ was informed by Sayyidina Jibreel, that there is this special human being, and the Prophet said, my soul and his soul meet. And we have a hadith in Bukhari, that when a person sleeps, the souls move around. What's the difference between death and sleep? Is that in sleep, your soul comes out of your body, but it's still connected to your body, with a little bit of a, like a string, imagine that. But when you die, it's completely separated from your body. So, so the Prophet said, my soul and his soul meet, and he's my Khalil, he's my beloved. Khalil is like a very close friend, but he never met the Prophet, and the Prophet never met him. But the Prophet is telling Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali, telling the Sahaba, because all the Sahaba were there, if you meet this man, seek forgiveness for him, from him. Ask him to make a dua for you for your forgiveness of your sins. How is it that a person could reach the rank that the greatest people in our deen and the Sahaba whom... I mean, look at the rank of these Sahaba and look at what they did and look what the Prophet said about them. Prophet said about Sayyidina Umar, if there was ever a Prophet after me, it would be Sayyidina Umar. And yet he's saying to him, Sayyidina Umar, 
You go and seek forgiveness from this man? In other words, ask, ask him to make dua for you for forgiveness? And this man never memorized the Quran? No, he, he didn't do, have the accomplishments? He didn't attend Badr, Uhud, Khandaq? He didn't attend any of these things? He never even met the Prophet What this should tell us, you never know who's close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is such a heavy hadith. You're walking around, there may be a person who just took shahada. That's it. And they're barely scrapping by in their religion. Like they may not know any Arabic. That's what happened always. He's no tafsir. He's no hadith. He doesn't know anything. But Allah knows how pure his Islam, his, his, his heart is. And his intent is so pure for Allah. He doesn't have the circumstances. He doesn't have, maybe you can even say, the genetics or the talent or the ability to study, to get learned. So we in Islam, it's you never know who, who Allah loves. It's, there's no favorites here. If someone's heart is pure, that's what their rank is. That's what Allah cares for. The purity of intention. Otherwise, that's the only thing that we all have. Otherwise, it's about what family you came in. You could born into a family that speaks Arabic, so you're light years ahead of everyone else. You could come into a family that memorized Quran. By nine-year-old, you memorize Quran. A convert comes in at 50 years old. He doesn't even know Alif and Ba. Right? So you say, of course, he's going to be closer to Allah because of his family. It doesn't work like that. It's all about your ikhlas to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sayyidina Umar, in other narrations, he said, Always, I make you a judge. Because if the Prophet said all these good things about you, you should be a judge. He said, no, no, I, I don't want any positions. He said, I make you to teach. You'll teach the people. He said, no, I don't want to be known by the people. The word about always spread around the ummah. And the shabab of the ummah, the youth, they would all travel around searching for always. Looking for a man who was tall, dark, extremely poor, and full of ibadah. One sahabi, uh, one tabi'i found always. He said, I found him in Basra. He was in the mosque, and I saw him praying. And I said, I'll wait till he finishes two rakas. As soon as he finished two rakas, he started another two rakas. Finish that two rakas, start another two rakas, until half the day passed by. I got so exhausted, I left. Next day, I tried to find him. He kept doing this. He said, all I would see is always making dua and praying the entire day. Then finally, at night one day, I saw him at a river, at the bank of a river. So I sat next to him. And we talked and we talked until I said, are you Uwais? Right. He wasn't happy. He said, I never saw him again. Next morning, Uwais was gone. Any time, any moment that the people found out who he was, he'd leave. Another man spied on him and thinks he's like, I think that's Uwais. Like a sighting, right? Like there's a sighting. He said, I saw him on a garbage heap, a heap of trash where the people put their trash sifting through the trash for pieces of bread and food. Then a dog came barking at him and he said, oh dog, let me take this half of the garbage. You take that half of the garbage. You're not better than me and I'm not better than you because if I've passed the Sirat, then I'm better than you. If I don't pass the Sirat, which is the bridge over hell, do you go to paradise? Then you're better than me, right? It's true. So therefore we don't know who's better than who. So we split the garbage 50-50. He said the dog then wagged its tail and went took its half. It's as if the dog understood what he's saying. So this man is a way al-Qarni. 
he he had nothing in his life except ta and you now you, now let's go to the question of what does it mean that he tells allah what to do when we know that things only happen by the will of allah things happen because allah wills it not because some human wills it so how do we make sense of that we make sense of that because the soul of the person who is submitted to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he's submitted to allah ta'ala fully completely his whim and his thoughts have almost also been transformed as if they are completely right under the 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 qadr of allah so anytime they get a thought it is inspired directly from allah's qadr if they get a desire it's inspired from allah's qadr because he submitted his soul by by submitting his body by submitting his action by submitting his tongue by submitting all of his limbs to the sharia so well and then submitting his heart to to the way the heart should be he submitted so well that his his soul and his heart and his desires are now residing right under the divine decree he does not get a single inspiration except it comes from the divine decree therefore it's something that's going to happen that's how we understand the concept of the one whose dua is understood or, or, or is accepted granted and the one who's like these because something enters his heart right and immediately he tells he, he he prays for it it would not enter his heart unless it was something maktub all right let's stop here that was on and let's go to your questions and your comments now and open it up inshallah we'll go for another half hour or so inshallah bismillah somebody asked mm. How are we supposed to live by the names and attributes of Allah? That's a good question. How do we live by the names and attributes of Allah Ta'ala? We live by the names and attributes depending on what they are. Sometimes, if it's something called the Jamali attributes, we act upon them. For example, the generous, we try to be generous. But the Jalali attributes, we do the opposite. If Allah is al-mutakabbir, we be humble. Okay, Allah is, for example, the creator, then we attribute everything that we do to his creation. We don't say like, I created this invention. No, by the permission of Allah, I was able to make this thing. So some names you do the opposite and some you fulfill them. Okay, There is um, a weak hadith, or some say it's a fabricated hadith that says, تَخَلَّقُوا بِأَخْلَاقِ الله. To take on the qualities and the character of Allah. This is a fabricated hadith or a weak hadith, but the meaning is fulfill the attributes of Jamal that we can fulfill. For example, Allah describes the Prophet as Ra'uf Rahim, compassionate and merciful. All right. So, uh, and the Prophet says the more accurate one is Sayyidah Aisha says the Prophet was as if he was the Quran walking. So that's how we act upon the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we bring them into our lives. Or we make a, we make a, uh, uh, our dua should be in accordance with the divine names. So if I'm feeling constricted or stingy, then I must constantly remember, Ya Razzaq, oh Allah is the Razzaq. He can make everybody, he'll, he'll support everybody. He'll sustain everybody. If I feel limited, my dua is with Ya Wasi'ah, Allah is vast. You might, your mind is limited, but he's vast. And so on and so forth. If I'm sick, ya shafi. The shafi is the one who heals. And so on and so forth. So we, we call upon the name that we need for ourselves. Next question. 
Can you please explain what it means for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be as-sabur? Good. What is the name for Allah ta'ala to be as-sabur? It means that Allah ta'ala, there, there is no limit to his ability to, to, to wait for you to make tawbah. That's the meaning. Unlike us, we have ajala and we have a minimum lack of patience. That means if you, hurt, if you hurt me once and you hurt me twice and you hurt me a third time, eventually I'm going to be considered, some. Um, I'm going to run out of patience with you, right? Allah is the opposite of that. He's sabur. There's a famous hadith in which, say, or a st story from Sayyidina Ibrahim salam. he never used to eat by himself. He used to always eat with somebody else. This time he couldn't find anyone except a pagan, so the man said, in the name of my pagan God, and Sayyidina Ibrahim said, okay, that's it. No food for you. Leave. So the man left. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to him, inspired his heart. He said, oh, Ibrahim, this old man, he's been a pagan worshiping other than me for 70 years, and I have had sabr with him. But you can't sit with him for one meal? Sayyidina Ibrahim ran out. He called the man back, and he said, my Lord has spoken to me. He said, he has had patience with you and your shirk for 70 years and he has commanded me to have patience with you for this meal so the man said your lord spoke about me my gods never spoke about me so he took shahad on the spot he said la ilaha illallah and became a muslim let's take one of these questions here it says here that can satan always be called the qutb of his time allahu alam maybe uh san madik says does reciting short dua from quran on repeat Count a dhikr or Quran, both. Sound as recitation of Quran and dhikr. Ryan? Um, so somebody asked, how do we pay zakah on 401k, which we don't have access to? Yet. How do we pay zakah on 401k, which we do not have access to? The day that you take it out and claim it to yourself, you pay one time zakah. And in another opinion, there's two opinions. That's one opinion. The other opinion is that you willingly put it in. Therefore, you look at the number every year and you pay zakah on that. Since you willing, that's two opinions on that. Because it's not like it's wealth that's out of your possession uh, involuntarily. It's voluntarily out of your possession or, or your control. So you owe it every year. Next. Mr. J.H. asked, I know we are supposed to generally hide our good actions, but what about incidents in life such as health, loss of money? Can we share these to show the mercy of Allah to people? In general, we're supposed to hide our actions, but what happens if there's a lesson to be learned? Then if you don't fear that people will either envy you or that people or that you will become arrogant, you can share your own personal life achievements and stories. You can share that I was so poor and I was down but I worked hard and then I made it in life or that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala healed us you can share those things on these two conditions that you feel that you will not increase in kibr from that or ujub self-love the self-love that is that that would make you feel better than conceited essentially self-love itself is not a bad thing everybody loves themselves but what we're talking about is conceit ujub or that other people won't get jealous of you right uh, and say like and feel bad about themselves this is always something really bad you shouldn't make other people feel bad like uh, feel that their their life stinks and yours is amazing or that Allah helped you and he doesn't help us or you got something special with Allah 
you never want to make people feel that way. M. Noreen says, can you please tell which prayers we can recite loudly? Fajr, Maghrib, Isha, Witr, Tarawih. Um, eclipse, lunar ecl uh, solar eclipse, Eid. These are the prayers that are done out loud. Next question. Tahajjud can be out loud. The nawafil of the night can be out loud. Uh, someone asked, should we ask for sabr? They've always been told that asking for patience means you're asking for tests. Yes, uh, there is a statement. The question is, if I make dua, oh Allah, grant me sabr. Am I not in that way saying, oh Allah, grant me tribulations to have sabr with? Well, the answer is that patience is of different types. The first patience is of patience with the people. That they harm you and you have sabr with them. And sometimes they don't harm you. They're just burdensome. For example, a man with many responsibilities, like a guy with six kids. thats They're not harming you. In fact, you love them, right? It's an amazing thing with kids. When they're healthy, they exhaust you. That's the good blessing. Imagine if they weren't healthy. When they're good, they take up a lot of time and money. Imagine when they're bad. So kids, either way, good or bad, it will drain you, right? So there's sabr with that. It's not always harm. It's not always a test. Secondly, there's the sabr of doing ibadah. Sabr of fasting. Sabr of getting up for tahajjud. Praying fajr. Staying on wudu. Reciting the Quran. And then there's sabr on avoiding temptations. So sabr on lowering the gaze. Sabr on not listening to music. Sabr on not backbiting with people. Sabr on avoiding gatherings where they're just talking nonsense. That requires sabr. Sabr on resisting taking an interest loan. Interest loan is extremely lucrative, but you don't take it. That's a different type of sabr. So when you say, oh Allah, grant me sabr, you may specify which sabr, right? Or you may simply put the clause, fi khair wa afia, in goodness and in gentleness and protection, so that you're not asking something bad. And we don't believe that Allah is someone, one who plays tricks on us. So that I said sabr, and then he, something bad happened to me. Oh, you said it. No, this is like children. Or it's someone who's wicked. And we don't believe that about Allah. So just following up on yeah. that, because that's like beautiful patience, right? So what yes. would ugly patience look like? Ugly. So there's beautiful patience. There's not beautiful patience. And then there is must be ugly patience. So if there's beautiful patience, which Allah calls sabrun jameel, then there must be sabr qabih, bad patience. And there must be sabr, which that's not a Quranic term, but we're saying it must exist. And there is also sabr, which is neither jamil nor qabih. The beautiful patience is the patience in which you do not complain. You know, you believe that you feel, if I complain about this, it's as if I complained about Allah. That's called sabrun jamil. Sabr that is qabih is sabr upon sins, Right? Like, the, for example, a thief. The first moment that the thief steals for the first time, he's got butterflies in his stomach. His nervous system tells him, don't do this. This is bad. Yet he, 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 has the, he, he, he fights through that. Okay? He fights through that. Okay? Same with zina. Zina, you feel guilty. You say, no, I'm going to fight through it. 
So that, in a sense, you are carrying a burden, but you're carrying the wrong burden. You're carrying the burden of Iblis and you're carrying the burden of a curse from Allah. So that's a type of sabr that's bad. And then you have sabr that is neither good nor bad. And that is, you get a tribulation that comes upon you and you complain about it, but you don't lose your obedience to Allah. So that will wipe away your sins, but not necessarily elevate your rank. All right, a tribulation comes and you can't stand it. You hate it. You keep complaining about it. You you don't you neither increase in ibadah, but you don't decrease either. So therefore, that type of person, that tribulation, and that sabr earned him forgiveness of sins, but did not earn him increase in rank. These are the three types of sabr. Is it permissible to recite Quran at the graveyard? Says Chima. The answer is yes. Not only permissible, it's good. It's good for the dead to hear the book of Allah. Does Allah forgive us immediately whenever we ask for his forgiveness if there is sincerity in the tawbah and its conditions are fulfilled? The only tawbah that is not accepted is the planned tawbah. That means I'm going to do this sin tonight and I'll make tawbah tomorrow. One ox says, uh, any tip to grip on Arabic grammar? Sarf and nahu Read, read, read. Read as much as you can and review the grammar books and come come to myarcview.org we'll teach you arabic myarcview.org there's some arabic classes there that you can read along with uh, the famous book qisasun nabiyin tasneem says do you have to pray right away when the adhan starts are we allowed to delay the prayer within its time frame this is a good question fajr is actually recommended to delay it enough that you know it's absolutely fajr Dhuhr as well, you can delay it if there's work or if it's too hot to go to the masjid. Asr you should not delay. Maghrib you should not delay. Aisha, you should not delay it past half the night. The first delay is okay. First half of the night is okay. Past half the night, you should not delay. So again, that's three. Asr, pray right away. Maghrib, pray right away. Aisha, don't pray it past half the night. You're sinful if you delay it to half, past half the night for no reason. Of course, if you have a reason, then it's not considered delay. Ryan? Okay, from uh, our dear brother Soheb. He asked, uh, if one has made a verbal slash handshake agreement for work to be done, such as like an interior design job or something like that, and one but one finds a better deal later on, can he take the other deal basically going against the handshake? If you have a handshake agreement or a verbal agreement or a written agreement, and then you get a better agreement, can you break it? The first agreement. Firstly, in the sharia, the verbal, the handshake, and the written. It's all the same for us. They are agreements. Your word is an agreement. And then you get a better deal later on. You have to, you can own, the, 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 the sharia between two parties is the agreement between them, right? That's the sharia for you. This contract, whether it's verbal or oral, uh, uh, verbal or written. If you get a better deal, only if the other party in the contract is accepting that you pull out. If you tell him, listen, man, I'm a poor guy. I took this deal because I had no better deal, but I got a better deal. Do you mind if I take that first and take your second? If he accepts that, fine. If he says, no, I needed this job done, then you have to do the job. So the the uh, 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 
The sharia of two parties that have a contract is the contract. Tantum says, uh, what should I do when I feel like I'm being tested beyond my limits? You have to do much remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya sabur. Much calling upon Allah, ya sabur, so that you can have more sabr. Muhammad 786, when calling upon Allah with his different names, does El need to be added? No, you say Ya Shafi, not Ya as Shafi. No. Ya Shafi, Ya Shafi, Ya Shafi. Not Ya El Shafi. Ya Shafi. It's a good question. Aliya Faith. What are the conditions of Tawbah? Number one, regret. I regret having done this. Number two, you admit not having done uh, You take responsibility. You don't say, no, no. Allah made me do it or Iblis made me do it. No, take responsibility. Have regret. Make istighfar. Ask Allah forgiveness. Some people have too much kibr. They may regret it, but they'll never seek istighfar. And sometimes you have to seek through forgiveness of the person that you harmed. Number four, you never return to You make the intention never to return to it. Even if you do fall into it again, but you made the intention never to return. These are the four conditions of tawbah. What qualifications would you need to go out and give dawah to the community? What qualifications do you need to go out and give dawah? The answer to that is that you do need a qualification that you understand the aqidah of Islam and you understand the priorities. Not everyone actually should be giving dawah. Some people, they don't know. They, and, and they do harm. A person becomes Muslim and they start telling them everything about the fiqh of tahara and salah and jihad and nikah and riba. And then they put the person out of the deen. Because they're like, whoa, this is way too much. This is beyond. No. Prophet ﷺ said to Mu'adh ibn Jabal, go to the people, call them to salah, to the, to the shahada, to iman. If they accept it, then inform them about the salah. If they accept it, then inform them about the zakah. By qiyas, by analogy, you only give one layer at a time to a new Muslim. And the juhal, the ignorant, they value, they, they may overload a new muslim with tons of stuff and the person's like oh this is way too much i'm out of here secondly they may not look at the the foundations of a person's iman what is the foundation of a person's iman is that they did this willingly from themselves because they truly believe it if you pressure somebody into entering islam you deprive them of having their own will you can't pressure someone into islam Right. This is not like uh, signing a, uh, uh, making a sale. Right. When you get like some businessman sell, pressuring you to buy a trinket or something. No, it has to come from themselves. So you have to make them love the whole deen and the environment. Muhammad Gulshan says, "Is it permissible to read Quran aloud during tahajjud? Yes, and you can physically hold the mushaf or the tablet. You may do that." Okay. How can I get unstuck in life, says Esra. This is a great question. She says she's stuck in life. How do I get unstuck in life? I have a very simple formula for you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, Ud'uni astajib lakum. Ask me, I'll grant you. Paint the picture. How would you like your life to be? And believe nobody can get it to you except Allah and then go about obeying him 
and doing worship and striving for your goals with dua and with hard work. Wallahu alam, but that's what I think. You can get unstuck in life. Hina says, is zakah needs to be paid on gold store, stored in the bank and not being used. Uh, I don't know about the Hanafi method, to be quite honest with you. That's number one. But number two, gold, if you're not, if, if you are intending it as a currency, you owe zakat on it. If you are not intending it as a currency and it's your jewelry, but you're keeping it somewhere, you don't owe zakat. Then, then, then you do not owe zakat on it. Muzzammil Khan. It is, it's said in hadith that the time between adhan and iqam is a time of istijaba. That's correct. So for making dua at that time, is it compulsory to go to the masjid? No, it's, it, well, it is best in the masjid. That's what is meant by that. Okay. That is what is meant by that. But if the adhan goes off in your house and someone calls the adhan, then you can make dua and then they call the iqama for the salah. What are your thoughts on credit card use? Credit card may be necessary for a person to have if they need to rent a car or other purposes, but the, the, the fees are riba. So if you pay it off right away, it's good. But if, you feel te if you're tempted, if the idea of having a credit card will tempt you into overcharging and then falling into debt and then having to pay extra, you're blameworthy for that. Aliyah Faith says, how do you know if your tawbah is accepted? If you keep making it, that's a sign of its acceptance. You keep making toba for something, that is a sign of its acceptance. And Allah knows best. Hayya ala salah, is it sunnah to stand when the iqama is said at hayya ala salah? There's different, uh, the, when, the, when the imam says, qad qamatis salah, that's when you get up. All right. Uh, do you know how to read the questions from there? Yeah. Let's see what you got. Um, so I have a question from Sidra. She said, how do we address members of the LGBTQ community that are interested in accepting Islam? Uh, Sidra says, how do we address people who are from the LGBTQ that are interested in accepting Islam? Then we will, we will just teach them Islam as it is. And if they are interested in the shahad, we give them the shahad. But we, we cannot, what, one, what we cannot do is affirm something about Islam that's false. Okay, we can't affirm something that is false. You don't always have to say everything, but we do not affirm something that's false. Okay, you cannot mislead them and say, oh yeah, Islam accepts uh, for you to do this, that and the other, which is haram, okay? But you don't always have to say, uh, or, or you, cannot, you cannot mislead them. That's essentially the, the, the answer to that question. But let them enter Islam. It's their haq, and it's Allah's duty for him to be, to be believed in. I mean, uh, astaghfirullah, it's Allah's right to be believed in, and it's their duty to believe in him. So we'll, we'll, when the topic is broached, that if you fall into some sin, God is forgiving. But you can't believe that that sin is right. That's what we would say when that uh, aspect of the topic comes up. FJ Free says, can you shed lights on the report that Imam al-Ash'adi repented from the creed he had called for? That is completely false. By the way, 99.999% .99 
of every time someone from, let's say, the Salafi or some other group, they love an imam and they need to quote him, but then they don't agree with his aqidah. They say he repented on his deathbed. It's false. There's no records of these things, okay? That you make him part of your madhab and say he repented on his deathbed. In fact, the one person who did repent at the end of his life was Ibn Taymiyyah from all the tabdiyah he did of the Asha'ira, right? And he writes that at the end of his life, his fatwa on them changed. So this concept of he repented at the end of his life is, is almost like in America when you love somebody, they say, oh, he's a closet Muslim. He secretly took shahada. That's not true. Is it permissible to take opinion of a certain madhab and then another matter from another madhab only if there's a hardship? Uh, it will be valid if you do it, but it's not the practice of scholars to, to dip like uh, as, as if it's a buffet. It's not the practice of the righteous or the scholars. Find me one scholar who went around doing that. Ryan? What should the objective of the student of knowledge be in this world so they can have success in the afterlife? The objective, what should the objective of a student of knowledge be in this world so he can have success in the afterlife? Very simple. Study from the correct sources of knowledge, act upon it, and spread it. Ilm, suluk, dawa. Ilm, learning, suluk, acting upon it, dawa, spreading it to somebody else. Next question. Is there a special dua for finding a job quickly? Is there a special dua for finding a job quickly? And the answer to that, you can use the dua of Sayyidina Musa. Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. It's not just for marriage, that dua. Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. Why? Because Sayyidina Musa, what did, what happened as soon as he said that? The girl came walking out modestly and she said, my father calls for you so he can compensate you for what you did for us. He had gotten water for them. Uh, and there were a bunch of guys there and they couldn't get to the well because the guys were hogging up the space. He went in there and he said, why don't you give these women some room? And he got them the water. So she then, they, he went to the father and some people say the father was the prophet Shu'aib. And he immediately gave him a wife and a job. But of course, the wife he can only get after he pays the dowry. What's the dowry? Eight to ten years of labor. So he got a home, he got a job, and he got a wife by saying that dua. So therefore, the scholars say that dua is for any needs. Rabbi inni lima anzalta Which is the best dua to make for the ummah then? That's the best offer to make for the Ummah, yeah. Mm. Because uh, it's basically open-ended. Any other ones to make for the Ummah, though? For the Ummah? Uh, the dua for Salah. Allahumma aslah, Ummah Muhammad. It's one of the best dua. And there is, Ya Rabbirham waslah, waghfir, wastur, wahfad, wa tajawaz an sayyati Ummah Muhammad. It's a bit long. It's not a sunnah, dua from the sunnah, but it's dua of the salihin. Are there recommended or specific times to do dhikr? Is it rec are there any specific times where it's greater to do dhikr than others? Yes, there are. The middle of the night is the best dhikr. After Fajr is from the best times to do dhikr. Before you sleep is a sunnah. The Prophet ﷺ never slept just like that. He would always remember Allah for a period of time and then go to sleep. Those are the three best times to make dhikr. Tasneem says, what, way, what are ways we can remain humble but not put ourselves down in the process? 
You never put yourself down, by the way. Say, says a man should never humiliate himself. You never put yourself down. Humility is about achievements. Okay? The, the, the person who has no achievements in life is not humble. They're meek. They're meek and weak. Humi in order to be humble, you need something to be humble about. Right? So you have to have some achievement, but you don't attribute your achievement to yourself. You attribute the achievement to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you believe in your heart and you know in your mind, in one moment, Allah can make you swap places with people. If you despise a person and you look down on them, then it may be now or later that the days will turn and pass and you will end up like them and they will end up like you. We have to believe that. At any moment, that could happen. Allah has all the power to do that. Imsecure says, related to an above question, what is the meaning of the hadith that the believer doesn't humiliate himself? You do not speak things that Allah hid for you. Allah hid your sins, don't expose it. Okay? Allah hid your flaws, don't expose it. That's the meaning of that. Do not speak about something that embarrasses you. This is not humility for us. You do not bring pain upon yourself thinking that this is humility and devotion. There are some Catholic groups, they wear nails. They wear tacks and nails, right? And they bleed. And these, some of these people are like bankers and educated people. But they believe that they're t taking a portion of what Jesus suffered. We say that Allah did not, firstly, did not you know, do that from the first place. Secondly, it doesn't benefit you at all. You don't harm yourself. In Islam, we don't harm. That's not our deen to do that. Even like long prayers or long fasts to the point where you're torturing yourself, that's not our religion. Prophet Sallallahu said, if one of you is praying to Hajjud and he's too tired, let him sleep. Then get up with energy to pray so that our deen is one of balance. It's not Self-harm is not something that helps us. Self-humiliation is not something that we do. We don't confess our sins to anybody unless you're seeking help where you say, listen, I'm a drunkard, I need you to help me. But we don't have confession in our religion. Uh, keep your self-respect and your, self, your reputation by not spilling your sins to people. Next question. What is ghira and how should we implement it in our daily life? What is ghira and how do we implement it? Ghira is for every man, for the women of his family, and for the deen. And for every woman and for the women of her and the men for the men of her family and for the deen. So that is you don't want it's a natural feeling that needs to be enhanced and we need to be educated about it. It's a natural feeling that if I have a daughter or a wife or a mom, I don't want some strange guy looking at her. I don't want any guy looking at her. If you want to be with them in some way, come respectfully ask for marriage. Okay? That's called ghayra. No woman wants her husband hanging out with other women. And if that happens and she becomes acceptant, accepting of that, then we say about it that her fitra has been warped. The society has warped her fitra. So she needs to fix that. Likewise for a man. If he thinks that that this ghira thing is some old-fashioned and it's a sign of your weakness, then he needs to be fixed. Ghira 
is it is rooted in a fear of weakness uh, fear and weakness because we do recognize that iblis can play games we do recognize i trust people but i don't trust iblis iblis can whisper prophet said no man should be alone with a woman even if he's teaching her the Quran, even if it's Maryam, the daughter of Imran, the Siddiqah. Why? I trust you. I don't trust Iblis. I trust your good side. I don't trust your nafs. We don't even trust, I don't trust my nafs. This is an actual pillar of understanding. I don't trust my own nafs. And if you trust your nafs, that's a false, you're going down the wrong path. If Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq himself who the Prophet said, you are going to paradise directly, face-to-face, -face, statement from the Messenger of Allah. Sayyidina Jibreel told him, the first 10 people to walk into this garden upon you, good to give them the glad tidings of paradise. So he did, because Sayyidina Jibreel knew who was coming. He said, if I have one foot in paradise and my other foot is out, I don't, still don't know what's going to happen. You can't trust your nafs. In our, in our psychology, we have a good side that is wonderful. And we, which is the fitrah and good, good have husnad done, but we also have an ego. We have a nafs. La nafsi Zulaikha said, "I never defend my nafs. The nafs commands to evil. That's what we say about ourselves. We all have a nafs. It commands to evil. There's iblis. He's a, he's aduun mubin, as the Quran says. There's hayat dunya." which is Dar al-Ghurur, it's a place of temptation. I don't trust that I could be tempted and Iblis could come to me at the same time. So men and women relations have ghira there to separate you from any chance that you can get close to a woman, even if it takes 10,000 steps. Let's say in, in, a, in, a, in an average person who doesn't have Islam, right? They have interactions with women all the time and they don't commit zina. Yes, that's true. Let's say hypothetically it takes 50,000 steps and interactions before the thought of zina comes up. Hypothetically, Islam comes to cut the, fifth, the first step. It doesn't wait all the way until zina becomes a possibility, then makes a rule. That's too late by that time. It's too late. Because a human momentum on passions is unstoppable. When a man falls in love with a woman or a woman falls in love or it's not love, it's just passion, that is unstoppable. Nothing can stop it. And that's why the, 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 the mention of the hellfire is so vicious. It's, that's, it's a fair word to say, vicious. The, 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 the angel that punishes, it is said, Wallahu alam, I heard from Mufti Niaz Hanan, he is narration saying the angels that punish in the hellfire are blind and deaf. Because if they could see what they're doing, they would never do it. How vicious is it? That viciousness, that harshness, is, the thought of it can put out your temptations. It could move you away from temptation. So that's the idea of ghayra, is separation. So we cut off the first step. We don't wait until the momentum develops between a guy and a girl, and they love each other. And they say, well, oh, this is backwards. What do you mean backwards? It's not backwards at all. It's our deen. It's our identity. It's who we are. It's what we love. The society should accept it. Isn't society all about diversity? This is some really good diversity for you because you're not going to get this opinion everywhere, right? So accept it. 
and be proud of it. I'm very proud of our religion that we separate between genders. I'm very proud of it because it, it, you see the results. I'm not embarrassed by it at all. And our separation is balanced. Wallahi, the separation of the Turks, of the North Africans, it's a balanced separation. It's not something so rigid that you can't live and you feel weird. It's not. It's, a, it's one that's healthy. Okay? It's a perfect balance. The Mediterranean, by the way, if you ever want to know, well, what, where are the most balanced area in the world? It's the Mediterranean. Mediterranean, everyone goes there. They meet everybody, at least back in the olden days, right? They meet everybody. Everyone goes, does trade there. So they en end up representing a little bit of the mix of all the cultures of the world. Okay. And even in Islam and even today, that area, the Anatolia in the north, and then North Africa and Syria, they have the best, they have balance because they interact with everybody. They have ports, so they deal with everybody. Next question. Rapid fire fiqh time. Rapid fire fiqh, let's, let's hear it. Okay, first question comes from our brother Othman, straight out of biology exam probably. Mm -hmm. Do we do a, a second tashahud after doing sajda tasahu in if, the Maliki method? If you do sajda tasahu, if you forget one of the eight sunnah mu'akkada, then you do owe something called sajdit asahu, the prostration of forgetfulness. And you do that prostration, two prostrations, and then you say the first half of the tahiyyat, and then you salam out. Next question. Can someone who is traveling 30 to 40 miles for recreational purposes, such as shopping, can they combine prayers? Uh, com combining prayers can happen. You can combine your prayers if the journey is halal. It does not have to be a journey of necessity or worship. If the journey is permissible, such as shopping or skiing or, or visiting a friend, as long as more than 36 miles, according to Rami Nasur, the Arbat Burud, four Burud, Roman mail posts has been calculated as nine miles per, that's nine times four is 36. And that's what we go by, 36 miles. You may hear 48 miles because they calculated the Burud as being 12 American miles. And I'll go with Sheikh Rami Nasur, which he said it's nine per, that's nine times four is 36 miles. So if you travel 36 miles, you can shorten and combine. Next question. Is it permissible to hold the translation of the Qur'an without wudu? Can you hold the translation of Qur'an without wudu? Yes. Okay. What are the benefits for reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas 10 times? The benefit of Surah Al-Ikhlas 10 times according to Hadith is that it gives a palace in paradise. And you can intend that palace to someone who died upon Islam. You can intend it for somebody else. So I intend the, the reward of this 10 recitations to go to someone else, as long as that person died on Islam, like my grandmother, my grandfather, etc. How would you respond to Muslim parents that believe putting your kids in hivd is oppression? How do you reply to a, Muslim, a parent that believes that putting your kids in a hivs program is oppression? Oppression, maybe that's not the right word. Maybe they should use the word too difficult, maybe. Maybe a little bit stressful, a little bit, but they can't, I don't, I think the word oppression is a bit too much. And secondly, you know, leave other families to do their thing. Who are you? What's your business? 
maybe their norms are different than your norms. You know that the norms of a kid who grew up upon something and his mom did it, his dad did it, his norm is very different from your norm. So if, if there's a family out there that the mom did a HIFS program, the dad did a HIFS program, they all did it, they're all fine. They're going to put their kids through a HIFS program. It's all fine. You grew up watching Mickey Mouse and eating cereal in front of Saturday morning for four hours, right? So yes, for you, the concept may be too difficult. So don't judge, don't, don't project your norms to other people's norms. Simple fact. I know a guy, he's a young guy and a sheikh. His grandma was dying, the grandma. Now, in any society, if your grandma's dying, and you know, khalas, this is the deathbed. We know the deathbed death. Wouldn't you drop everything and come? Well, this guy was out doing dawah. They got the word, the grandma's dying. What did the grandma say? The grandma said she was such a pious woman and she grew up on dawah. Her dad did dawah, her husband did dawah. She said, stay where you are. What's the value of coming to me when I'm about to die? right so you're gonna see me for for a few more minutes i'll make dua for you go do allah's work don't come and see me so people have to totally different families they got totally different cultures and i know people i don't care if you're making hedge if the mom trips and falls cancel your hedge and come and see me right some moms are demanding like that they that's their version of bir al-walidain that's their expectation Okay, I don't care if you're doing a surgery. If I trip and fall, come and visit me. That's the expectation. So don't project yourself and your norms on other people. Next question. How do we explain strong deja vu in Islam? I don't, I've never seen any explanation of deja vu in Islam. I don't know what the answer is to that question. Next question. Okay, this is a follow-up from uh, what's the objective of the student of knowledge, yep. they continue to ask, what should one do if they feel depressed when they look at the state of the ummah and they feel like there's no point in even striving for it? What This question says, what, what happens if I feel depressed when I look at the state of the ummah and I say there's no point? Stop looking at it and look at only what you can do. That's called sphere of concern and sphere of influence. Right? There's no point spending too much time on sphere of concern and looking at all the bad things, and even the Prophet said, you're only one man. A, a, a man came and he said, I want to spread the word. The Prophet said, you're only one man. Spread about me even one thing. So look at your sphere of influence instead of your sphere of concern. Don't look so much at the negative things. The news is meant to spread negative thoughts in the minds of human beings, so everyone's thinking is negative. And when you think negative, you attract negative. So get yourself some momentum by doing one good thing to the person next to you or to yourself until you get some momentum. Next question. In Rusul, do you have to wash every single part of your skin? What's the dominant opinion about the back? In Rusul, you do have to wash every part of your skin by rubbing. And the back, you can use something. And there is the Egyptian opinion in the Madiki Madhab that wherever your hands reach, is what you have to wash but it does have to get wet for sure next what are the best practices and duras to get someone out of depression who tried medicine they tried physicians but it's still not working what is the best medicine to get yourself out of dua you tried doctors you tried everything first of all it could actually be something chemical imbalance Allah Adam. we're not going to discount that but 
the spiritual side, there is nothing more powerful to uplift the spirit of a human being than salah upon his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa upon Allah's messenger. Why? Because Allah loves his messenger. And, and, he, lo and he loves those who are, who, who, he who remembers his messenger. And therefore, it has been said and been tried and tested that much salah on the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa will cure all spiritual ailments. All. Capital A-L-L. -L. No doubt. Next question. How do we make the Muslim youth and young adults always remember the consequences of their actions in the Day of Judgment without making them feel like Islam is all about punishments? How do we make people always remember the consequences of their actions without making them feel that this is all about punishment, etc., etc., etc.? I would go and reverse this. Rather than mo moving people by a fear, move them by motivation for reward human beings love themselves right or wrong we all love ourselves and we all want something good for ourselves if you tell somebody don't go over there because there's a fire over there all he's going to do is be very curious right you see there's a fire what do people do the deers all run away the human being run to the fire let's look at it you make something more mystical sometimes or fantastical in their mind but what you do, what human beings will always respond to is something that they will benefit from and, as, and the benefit that's quicker is more moving to a person than the benefits that's further. So if I say to you, you will f see the results tomorrow if you do this ibadah today and if you avoid this sin today and you will see an amazing benefit in your worldly life tomorrow, you'll see him moving really quick. So that's the nature of human beings. And, and, uh, and the Prophet is the one who confirmed that. By saying, love my family for my sake, love me for Allah's sake, love Allah for the good things he's showered upon you. So he's telling us the psychology of a human being loves himself and loves benefit for himself. That's the selfishness that's okay in Islam. The selfishness that's bad is the one that takes other people's rights. That's the selfishness that's sinful. Next question. Um, is, there, is the sunnah to let the entire beard grow or to trim the sides and let the chin hair grow? Is the sunnah to uh, let the whole beard grow. In Maliki Madhab, the sunnah to, of a beard is whatever the, society, the pious Muslims call a beard or the society calls a beard. Okay, That's what the sunnah is for having a beard. Whatever is called a beard. And from the sunnah of Abdullah bin Omar is that he would let it go a fist length and then cut under that, underneath. He's the one who invented the concept of fist length. He knows better than the sunnah than anyone else and he understood that the prophet did not mean the beard down to belly button right he used to take his fist and cut from here and there were others examples that the side can be trimmed and the there was a syrian or jordanian scholar who wrote about the hanafi madhab the permissibility of trimming the sides it is permitted to, to remove some hair from the side so it doesn't grow out like this it's against the fitr to see a person whose beard comes out like this right or wrong right you look at what happened to him right no uh the sahaba and the salaf and the tabi'in they were allowed to clean up the side of the beard okay so that's the answer to that what is the correct way of wording salawat on the prophet can i say instead of what is the correct wording of salah and salam on the prophet peace be upon him there there is many different correct wordings any expression which says alayhi allahumma salli wa sallam alayhi whether you use the pronoun alayhi or you use the word muhammad 
or Sayyidina Muhammad. This is all acceptable. But you should include Salah and Salam. If you say Salah, that's past tense, then you should say Salam. If you say Salli, which is command tense, then you should say Salim. Okay, command tense. Okay, next. Okay, so this has a word that I've never seen before, but okay. does, does removing the socks after doing Masah invalidate the wudu? Removing socks after doing Masah. First of all, Masah on the sock, wiping on the sock is only in the Hanbali Madhab. If you're aware, if you're doing mess on your sock, you must make sure your entire wudu is according to the Hanbali method. Go study it. Otherwise, it's invalid. You may bring a wudu that is neither valid in the Hanbali, Hanafi, Shafi, or Maliki method. Therefore, your salat's invalid. You should say, you say, oh, Allah should be forgiving. Don't tell Allah what to do. Allah has wants the salat to look like this. All right? And the answer to that question of what does salat and tahara look like has been answered by the great scholars of the four madhabs and what they've agreed upon. All right, within their madhab. So your, your wudu must be in accordance to one of the four madhabs. So if you wipe on your socks, for example, but you didn't do your nose, th that's not a wudu in any madhab. Because only the hanabila allow wiping on the sock, but they also demand that you do your nose and your mouth. It's fard for them. The ear is fard. Maybe sunnah for the other madhabs, or it is sunnah for the other madhabs. So, but if you do wipe on a sock or a khuf, then you remove that sock and khuf, you're out of wudu, khalas. You have to make wudu again. Can emotional trauma, this question says by Ali Faith, be cured by ruqya? Dhikr in general, and ruqya is a branch of dhikr. Dhikr in general can, can cure emotional trauma. Another thing can cure emotional trauma is charity work, helping other people, dealing with horses, being with the Muslims in general, right? Being with your family and loved ones who love you and share with you. Every time they share something with you, some love is happens there right and of course the remembrance of uh recitation of quran one more question okay this is a good one to end on all right what is the best way to prepare for ramadan what is the best way to prepare for the month of ramadan if you're somebody who has a physical physically a hard time to fast then you should start fasting so that the month of ramadan comes and doesn't give you headaches and that you're totally out of whack etc. So to actually do CM is the best way for you to actually uh, get ready for, CM, for for the month of Ramadan so that when the, the fast comes, the fast is easy for you. And then you could focus on your other ibadat. And the greatest ibadat in the month of Ramadan is recitation of Quran. No doubt about that. Jazakumullah khairan everyone. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruku natubu ilayk wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu aminu al-salihat. Wa tawasu bil-haq wa tawasu bil-sabr. We'll see you all Monday for our stream on uh, uh, next week, inshallah ta'ala. And uh, you can subscribe to all these channels. My, my Instagram page, Facebook page, Safina Saidi YouTube page. Did you put that on TikTok today? Uh, under my name? Dr. Shadi Masri, just Dr. Shadi TikTok page. Uh, is it called a page or an account? Account. account. Sorry, I'm not up to date with all this stuff. And uh, inshallah, you can participate. And all these are always, they're left on Instagram and they are on YouTube at the Safina Society YouTube channel. You can catch up on previous um, Nothing But Facts live stream. Thank you very much. Wassalamu alaikum Ya Nabi, salam alayka. Ya Rasul, salam alayka. Ya Habib, salam alayka.
Oh, 